Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. It's been a big year for special purpose acquisition companies, commonly known as SPACs. The number of high profile businesses, including DraftKings, Virgin Galactic, and Nikola Motor, all coming public uh, via a SPAC. Today, I'm joined by Molly Fool contributor Luis Sanchez to help me explain exactly what SPACs are and why they've become so popular. Luis, thanks for joining me on the podcast once again. Always, Nick. Happy to be back. Hey, great to have you on the show. As always, just off the bat, Luis, what is a SPAC? <laughs> a SPAC is, it stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. Uh, a common nickname for it is Blank Check Company. And it's, it's, an, uh, it's an abstract concept, but it's basically an empty shell company that uh, raises money to go public. And it's sponsored by some kind of asset management company. They usually pair up with a reputable manager, professional executive, and they're looking to buy a company at some point in the next two years after they IPO. And that cash that they raised sits on their balance sheet collecting interest for a couple of years. And once they find a deal, they bring it to the people who invested in the SPAC, and the shareholders can uh, vote to approve the deal if they want to invest in it. Or they could uh, use what's called their redemption rights and ask for their money back. And it's 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 a little bit obscure. These things have been around for for a long time, at least a decade. But in the past year or two, there's been a lot of high profile examples, including, as you mentioned up top, Virgin Galactic, DraftKings, Nikola Motors. And as many investors would know, these stocks have all done really well. So there's been a lot of growing interest. And just to put some numbers on it, so far this year, over $12 billion has been raised through SPAC IPOs in over 38 deals. So last year was, was actually a really big year for SPACs too, where $13 billion was raised. So we're already at last year's numbers, and we're only halfway through the year. So it's probably going to be the biggest year ever for SPACs. So it's probably a topic that investors should start familiarizing themselves with if they haven't already. Absolutely. As you mentioned, SPACs have been around uh, for a really long time. There, there's been times when SPACs have been very hot and there's been times uh, when they've been less popular. Why do you think SPACs are becoming so popular right now? Yeah, uh, it's a little bit of right place at the right time kind of thing, in my opinion, because most of these SPACs that, have, that are announcing deals this year, like DraftKings, uh, they raised that money back a couple years ago, 2018, 2019, and they're just sitting with these huge pools of cash. So, you know, at a time where a lot of companies are looking for liquidity, these guys are liquidity providers. And some companies might not view the IPO market as being all too hospitable with all the volatility. We've certainly seen a few IPOs get um, get derailed, basically. Um and I think there's a larger question here, too, about just the IPO process, the traditional IPO, if it still works for most companies, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of data that would show that the number of IPOs has actually declined over the past 5, 10 years. And that could be through a ver- variety of, of, uh, of things, but 
I would view SPACs as like another tool that companies can use. Direct listings is also another technique that's come out to, to kind of work around. So it's a little bit of right place at the right time. It's a little bit of trying to figure out how to fix the IPO. Certainly. I mean, uh, when people need capital and, you have, and you're able to provide access to capital, uh, you're, in a, you're in a position to have, have some leverage. When you compare uh, a SPAC, bringing a company public via a SPAC versus a traditional IPO, what are the advantages and disadvantages of that approach? Sure. I'll start with the advantages for the selling company, because if there's no sellers, there's uh, going to be no IPO. I think the biggest one is really just the uh, the ease to market. So in a traditional IPO process, it, it, it'll take companies months to prepare for that, if not a full year. And what they're doing is they're talking to banks, they're going on an IPO roadshow, they're negotiating the price of their of their future offering with a ton of investors. But with the SPAC, it's been reported that some of these SPAC deals are getting are getting negotiated and off to market within weeks, which is really great. And instead of having to negotiate with a ton of institutional investors as part of an IPO roadshow, they could just negotiate with the SPAC itself, which is managed by one person. So they can have that have a greater certainty of the price they're going to get uh, quicker quicker to market. And there's also a few things that are a little bit lighter on the regulatory side. So they don't need to have an S1 level amount of disclosure. Uh, they're they don't have they're not subject to the IPO lockup rule that a lot of exchanges enforce. So there's a couple of interesting uh, advantages there. Okay, and, 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 and you mentioned yeah. from the investor's perspective, what what is what is the advantage? Yeah, exactly. So from the investor's standpoint, there's a couple of interesting things. I think the biggest one is that there's a uh, there's transparency on the NAV, and there's that. It's kind of like a put option, which I referenced earlier. It's what's called these redemption rights, where basically if you invest in a SPAC before it announces a deal, you can use your redemption rights and basically get your money back if you bought it at NAV or at net asset value, uh, which is which is huge. It, it gives you a lot of optionality. And if the company actually presents you a really great deal, well, then you got in before everyone else. You know, and potentially there's a, there's a pop that you get. There's like a this IPO pop that, as everyone else finds this great deal that you've already invested in. So that's really cool. The other thing is that if you really like the people who are running the SPAC, the SPAC gives you a chance to bet on managers, bet on the the guys who are sponsoring the SPAC, bet on the the CEOs who will go on to run the companies, and some of these SPACs have truly outstanding managers and some really interesting investment investors in there. Yeah, Luis, I want to talk about you know how you evaluate a SPAC. You mentioned earlier, one of the advantages, you get quicker to market. There's there's few hoop, fewer hoops to jump through from a disclosure point of view. Uh, you know That provides some upside to the company when it comes to you can get public. But uh, also from an investor's point of view, uh, there's opportunities for uh, you to be misled or, or some issues. I think we talked about before the show that you know, hey, if WeWork had done a SPAC approach to coming public, it, it's quite possible they could have made it to market. So, you know, as you're an investor evaluating these companies, how do you do it, given that there's really, you know, less disclosure and we don't really know what these companies are going to go buy either? Yeah, look, I've I've been investing in SPACs for a few years now, and I, I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you that not all SPACs are created equal. Some SPACs have 
better terms for investors. Some SPACs, in my opinion, have better managers with better track records. So the first thing that I always start with is who, who are the people who are running the SPAC? What have they done previously? Why should you trust that they'll find you a good deal? Why should you trust that they'll negotiate a good deal on your behalf? Um, part of that is their track record. Part of that is, is just how much money they're personally putting into the deals themselves, right? You want to be aligned with those guys who are investing on your behalf. The, the next thing is, if you want to get more technical, you could look at the actual structure of the SPAC. And it's interesting. So when you buy a SPAC at IPO, they come in what's called units, which is one share of the common stock when it eventually becomes a deal. And it usually comes with warrants. Some SPACs are a little bit more generous with, with their warrants. They'll give you half a one warrant for every two shares you own. Some SPACs are a little bit more stingy. They'll only give you one warrant for every four shares you own. And just this week, we saw the first SPAC IPO proposing not to give investors any warrants. So the warrants give you upside. They're kind of like a call option. It's a nice kicker. If, if the company gives you a good deal, your warrants will be, will be valuable. They're worth something. We don't know what, what they'll be worth. There's usually an exercise price above the IPO price at some level. Um, so familiarizing yourself with the terms is, is helpful. The, the last thing is when you actually get a deal, look at it, view, view, it as a, view it as investing in any other stock. Look at the merits of the deal. Look at the valuation they negotiated. Is this a good deal? Would you have invested in the stock if you weren't already invested in the SPAC? So don't suffer from what's commonly called endowment bias, right? Where you already own something, so you stick with it. Some of these deals are clearly better than others. They're more attractive assets. They're, they're priced at better valuations. And there's also some deals that, frankly, run some red flags. So one deal that I would say that kind of illustrates maybe a red flag deal is um, this recent announcement of Lancadia acquiring Golden Nugget online casino, which the reason why I say it could be a red flag, it, it could also be a good, it could also end up being a good IPO. I'm not 100% sure, but it's just that the person who's sponsoring the SPAC Tillman for, for Tita is also the person who is selling the company. So you have a guy who's sitting on both sides of the transaction, which obviously creates a little bit of a conflict of interest. So when you see something like that, governance-wise, maybe you want to be a little bit more careful. Right. I mean, given uh, you know the points you've made about needing to understand the structure of the SPAC, uh, question marks around evaluating management. You don't know what company they're going to go by. Given all that uncertainty and some technical natures of what's going on here in this particular type of investment, do you think uh, SPACs are appropriate for the typical individual investor and why or why not? Sure. I would say just like anything else in investing, do your homework. Know what you're buying. If you know, if, if you understand the basics of a SPAC and you've read the offering documents you're, you're, you're in good company, right? A lot of people pile into these SPACs after they see some flashy headline and they're paying and they're, and they're paying pretty high prices or they don't know what they're buying. So I'd say there's probably two strategies when it comes to SPACs. Some people will, will buy the SPAC before there's a deal, like pretty soon after the SPAC IPOs and, and has that blank check nature to it. And the downside to investing in a SPAC before there's a deal is you're going to have to wait, right? You could wait two years. The SPAC possibly could, might not even find an investment. It might just give you your money back. 
And that's not attractive to a lot of people because there's something called the time value of money. There's opportunity cost. You could have been investing in something else. Um, if, if you're going to invest before a deal, try to figure out what the NAV is. Try to figure out what that cash is actually worth. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're paying if you're paying way above the NAV of a SPAC, you might be overpaying, especially if the if the deal doesn't work out well. The other strategy I would say is analyzing a SPAC after it's announced a deal, and that's really going to be no different than looking at any other stock, except that maybe you need to just kind of figure out do do a little bit of math and figure out what the pro forma company is going to look like after the after the transaction's over. And right there's all sorts of different kinds of warrants you mentioned and all that shake out. After the warrants, yeah. And, and no, the, yeah, exa- exactly. If you're buying the units, are you, are you getting some warrants? Are you buying the shares? Does that mean you don't have any warrants? Do you want the warrants? You could also buy the warrants separately. Some people who want to be levered might, might go for that. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a few ways to play it. There, there's more than one way to skin the cat in this, in this asset class. Okay, so, so you talk about two ways of investing in SPACs. Either you can invest after they've announced a deal or before they've announced a deal. Let's talk about uh, a couple companies that, that, that catch your eye that fall in, bo- in both of those categories. Uh, so the first one, when it comes to companies that already have a deal, in, any SPACs that catch your eye today? And if so, what are they? Yeah, there's a couple of interesting ones right now in market that they, they, they've uh, targeted a company and it's pending on shareholders voting for the transaction and getting approvals. So one that I think is really interesting is a SPAC called Caller Creek, which the ticker is CCH. And it's announced a deal to acquire Utz Brands, which is a regional snack brand. I know that we have Utz chips up here where I live in New York City. It might just be an East Coast brand. I'm not sure if, if people have it on the West Coast. I, I didn't grow up with it in the Southeast. But it is, a really, it is a really interesting brand, kind of like Doritos or Lay's. And a couple of reasons why I like this deal. First, the sponsor of the deal, uh, a guy, a man by the name of Chin Chu, he's a really smart deal maker. He was a longtime executive at Blackstone. I have a lot of faith that he negotiated a good deal. Second, is the the CEO that he paired with is a former CEO of Kraft Foods. So clearly a guy who knows the snack industry well, I feel like um, bringing in that, that institutional knowledge from Kraft will probably help Utz out a lot. And then lastly, I just, I just like Utz as a brand. I think it's a solid consumer staple. It's, uh, it's going to be a, a $1.5 billion deal when, when this is all said and done. So pretty small. There's probably some upside. They could probably grow this brand, maybe taking it national, or maybe even selling the brand to a larger company down the road. So I, I, I like that one. I think it's interesting. A couple other ones I'd mention that are a little bit splashier. Uh, there's there's one there's one SPAC called Tortoise Acquisition, which announced a, a deal to acquire electric truck company High Lion, and those who are familiar with the Nikola Motors SPAC, there's a lot of parallels with that, right? This is another company targeting the um, another company targeting the clean energy space, especially in the automotive transportation area. Um, there's, there's clearly a lot of growth opportunity, but I would actually caution people on, on this one specifically because it's an attractive area. There's a lot of interest. 
However, the stock has moved. I think the stock has actually doubled from where it was before the deal was announced. So just be a little bit careful about buying into this deal after after the stock's appreciated so much. And then the last one I would mention is a is a company called Graph Industrial. The ticker is G R A F, and they very recently announced a deal to acquire Velodyne, which is another electric vehicle company. They uh, claim to have invented LiDAR, which is used for EVs. It could also be used for robotics. And they've been around actually a while. In fact, I, I believe they're the market leader. Last year, they actually generated a million, $100 million in revenue. So they have a real business. They have an interesting technology. It's, a, it's, another, it's another $1.5 billion deal. However, again, you know, be careful because it's an, exciting, it's, an, it's an exciting company in an exciting industry. Therefore, a lot of investors have piled in, and the stock has uh, also appreciated after the deal has been announced. Yeah, Velodyne is one that, you know, it's been rumored they were going to come public for a while. As you mentioned, uh, one of the, the, the premier LiDAR makers, uh, at least what, what, what a lot of autonomous vehicle companies believe is necessary uh, to scaling up and the success of that technology. Um, I, I, think, I think all those are interesting. I, I do think that, to, to your point, uh, some of these electric truck companies have been bid up to a point that they're, there's certainly a lot of potential, but there is certainly some execution risk that is being heavily discounted uh, uh, right now. Um, in the price, when you when you start looking at at specs that haven't yet acquired a deal, I think there's there's some interesting names you know rumbling around in that space. You've got Chamath uh, Palapatia, who who has had success in the past uh, with Virgin Galactic, and then we we've heard uh, Bill Ackman uh, is going to be coming out with a spec uh, here pretty soon. When you see these folks still looking for a deal, uh, what jumps out to you uh, from from these gentlemen? Yeah, so Chamath uh, Palapatia. Who he he's a very well-known tech investor, early employee at Facebook, very successful VC. He invested in companies like Slack uh, when they were still private, and which led him to uh, become a billionaire. So he's a very successful investor in his own right, very well networked in Silicon Valley, and he's already done a successful SPAC. So I think I believe you and I had a had a conversation on this podcast a year ago where we talked about the Virgin Galactic IPO, which Ch- Chamath was behind that, and that's been that's been a success story. The stock is is above where where the SPAC was trading back then, and there's been some really interesting uh, news lately about some partnerships that they're doing. So I, I when I look at a SPAC that hasn't announced a deal yet, I see I see the social capital ones managed by Chamath, and I see a guy who has a really great network, who has a track record, and that that gets me excited. So he has two SPACs out right now. He has one called he has one with the ticker IPOB and another one with the ticker IPOC. And the reason he has two SPACs is because they're targeting different size companies. So IPOB is a $360 million SPAC and IPOC is a $720 million SPAC. So IPOC can probably is most certainly going to go after more of a, a unicorn company. And IPOB maybe will go. It, IPOB could actually take down a smaller unicorn, but it'll it'll be a, a different size. And it's it's interesting that Chamath is behind these and he's calling them IPOB and IPOC. He's kind of poking fun at this at this idea that SPACs are like a replacement or a substitute for the IPO itself. And he's been a big outspoken proponent of that. 
idea. Chamath has come out pretty aggressively. I don't remember where the interview was, but he essentially came out and said that he thinks over the long term that this this SPAC process of of coming public is going to become more and more popular and perhaps, you know, squeeze out uh, uh, some of the traditional IPOs. Do do you agree with that, Luis? I, I think there's a lot of merit to it for the reasons we discussed earlier there's advantages there's there's clear advantages to um going public through a spac and i'll just throw out the example of wework i i personally believe wework would be a public company today if they had chosen to go public through a spac as opposed to going through a roadshow process where investors scrutinized their deal and they had to give all sorts of disclosures that made them look bad i would argue a company like that maybe should have opted for a, a spac ipo to give them some more cover and more certainty so uh, that that that's an interesting I, I think that's an interesting example. I think that the other thing with actually Chamath is familiar with is the direct listing because I believe SPAC or uh, sorry, uh, Slack went public through a direct listing. So clearly, clearly companies themselves are showing that they have an appetite to to do alternatives to the IPO. And maybe you know, I'll leave that to policymakers to figure out what that means. If if they need to change the IPO rules, or or if you know, if if they want if they want to have these multi tiered systems, but I, I definitely think there's a clear appetite, and there's definitely some rationality to to doing it differently. Right, and I can see the arguments for both sides from the company's perspective. It makes the process much easier. You can get access to capital quicker. Uh, but from the perspective of regulators, the idea that a company like WeWork might be able to come public uh, could could be discomforting. Um, for some folks. But before we go away, I did want to talk about uh, this Bill Ackman SPAC that's been rumored. It hasn't officially come public, uh, but it's reported to be, uh, plans to be the largest SPAC ever. It has an interesting structure to how, he, how he's putting together the deal. What do you make of this this move by Bill Ackman to move into the, the SPAC space? Yeah, well, Bill Ackman proves yet again that he plays by his own rules. He is taking something that he sees as an interesting capital vehicle, and he's he's putting his own spin on it. So, Bill Ackman, as many would know, he's he's a famed hedge fund manager. He managed a hedge fund called Pershing uh, Pershing Square, which he actually IPO'd his hedge fund in Europe um, under the ticker PSH to give him a permanent source of capital. So he already did something kind of interesting with his hedge fund, which a lot of people would. A lot of people have said the fact that he got that permanent base of capital may have saved his hedge fund in this last downturn. So now he's now he's looking at the SPAC world, and yet again he's he's come up with an interesting structure. So he's putting together he has a, he has a S one out. So he hasn't this hasn't gone public yet. It's still it's still in S one phase, and the S one has a three billion dollar number on it, which would already make it the largest SPAC ever IPO'd. And there's been a couple of $1 billion SPACs, but there's never been a $3 billion SPAC. And then he has a few other things that he put in there. So one is that he has pledged that his hedge fund may co-invest up to $3 billion in addition to the first $3 billion. So he could have a, he could have $6 billion of, of capital ready to, to take a company public. And then there's a few things with the actual terms that are different. So as we mentioned before, SPACs usually come with a warrant, but there there's some interesting things around the redemption rights and 
whether or not people are incentivized to go through with the deal. So Bill Ackman created a structure that that he believes will incentivize more people to, to, to stick with the deal after it's announced. So he, he wants his early investors who, who buy into the IPO to stick with him. And the way he's done that is essentially by giving the investors who, who stay with the deal, giving, giving them more warrants. So if you use your redemption rights, you maybe don't get any warrant or you have fewer warrants. But if you stick with the deal and you're a long-term holder, your warrants actually vest over time. That's and that's a pretty interesting structure, and it it, it aligns the investors with the uh, operators of the SPAC. Right. I mean, and I, and I guess when by incentivizing people to hold, I think one concern uh, that I have sometimes uh, with some of these big players coming in is you mentioned earlier they're kind of capturing that IPO pop, and maybe they're gonna they're, they're gonna flip the stock. Um, as soon as that's over, if you create a structure that disincentivizes that behavior, uh, as an individual investor, it can make you a little bit more comfortable um, with buying into the space. Uh, Luis, w- with these huge, huge fund managers like Ackman, big names like like Chamath moving into the space, do you think that that fundamentally changes SPACs going forward? Do you, do you think SPACs' role in the market will be larger, you know, going into the future because of this? Yeah, I think that the current crop of SPACs have much better quality companies, they have better management teams, they have better sponsors, they're getting more press. I think this creates a virtuous cycle on a number of fronts. I, I, I think that the investors who were in this asset class early, who have made money, they're going to keep investing in SPACs. I think that private companies who see their peers go public successfully are going to want to mimic that success. And when everyone, when everyone sees the success of, of a SPAC, you know, it's going to get it's going to get uh, ex- seasoned executives more interested in being a part of it. It's going to get banks, higher quality banks like Goldman, which has its own SPAC out. It's going to get them involved all around. This this asset class is attracting more and more money, and which tends to attract higher quality and higher tier companies and investors all around the board. Right, winners keep on winning. That's one of the things we say a lot at the Motley Fool, and you know, over the past year, uh, SPACs have performed. Uh, quite well, uh, you know. As as this you know continues uh, to play a bigger role in the market, Luis. I know you follow this space closely, and we'll have you back on the podcast uh, to break it down again sometime soon. Awesome, happy to happy to be here. All right, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the glass. For Luis Sanchez, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and fool on.